You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS4 podcast studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. We appreciate you joining us once again. I'm Dave Griffiths. Mike Chappell joining us from the Beach Grove Estate and Joe Hopkins here with me in studio as well. Uh, guys, a, a good show up ahead. We have head coach T.Y. Hilton and wide uh, head coach Frank Reich, wide receiver T.Y. Hilton. Gonna, I'd like gonna to see right out there running some routes. Yeah, that'd you be know? great. Yeah, <laughs> see how sharp he is. And T.Y. Hilton is head coach. Put on put on his his coach cap. So, um, a, a great job out of the blocks from me. Let's hope the rest of the uh, the show goes a little bit better, especially the part where we put on our betting hats and go through some prop bets for this year and uh, see if we can't uh, can't give you some winners for uh, for the 2020 season that we hope is in fact a 2020 season. But uh, we do have to open this Colts Blue Zone podcast with some uh, very unfortunate news uh, that Colts Nation will be uh, certainly uh, familiar with by now that uh, former offensive line coach Howard Mudd passed away on Wednesday at the age of 78, uh, died after complications from injuries he suffered from a motorcycle accident. And uh, Mike, honestly, like my, my first reaction just uh, from from hearing this is, wow, Howard Mudd is still on a motorcycle at 78. To be perfectly honest, that was my first thought. But I mean, you, you knew him so much better than I did and m- much better than so many others in the media did. And like to, just first of all, to get this guy off a motorcycle would have been would have been in- incredibly difficult from what you have told me about him and from what I've heard from other folks as well. Like that was very much a big part of his life. Yeah, you don't want it to be insensitive, but this is this this is this was Howard Mudd, yeah, uh, on a motorcycle. And I was talking to Jeff Saturday, and Marcus Pollard was really kind of eerie that they they've always stayed in contact, and they came up with a Zoom conference call with Howard the Monday before his accident because they hadn't been in touch and they just wanted to touch bases. Twenty five Colts. Coaches, players got together, and when when Mud joined the uh, Zoom, he was in his in his garage on a motorcycle. <laughs> he had just gotten back from a from a trip. That that's who he was, uh, and uh, to the end, that's that's who he was. And Jeff Saturday and, and Marcus Pollard each said that's how he would want to go. Now it sounds callous and all that, but it, I don't mean it to be. He had a really bad accident back in the Indy days, in, in the uh, mid two thousands. I mean, a serious accident. So, but he 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 was. That's who he was. Like Jeff Saturday says, that that's when he was at peace, and surely understood that there were times he'd get in that sickle and drive. And he and I think the line coach with the Titans. Well, I can't remember his name. I'm blanking it. They went on this this bike trip. Uh, so it's what he was. It's who he was. And this was a really, really, obviously serious accident that if you kept up with what Shirley was putting out there, this is where it was headed because he, he, it was serious injuries and they simply decided at the end that let's not prolong this, let's, let's be at peace and let Howard go and that's what they did. Well, on the football field, Howard Budd was not just a great coach, the Colts fans know. Well, before that, he was one of the best offensive linemen of the uh, of the mid century, an all decade player of the 1960s, an all pro guard. Uh, his, his relationship with the Colts, specifically, that people here will be more familiar with, would be, of course, when he was the offensive line coach from uh, 1998 to 2009. A brief stint in 2019 as a senior assistant. Uh, just last year, we saw him a little bit 
out at Westfield at training camp on Frank Wright's staff as a just kind of a an advisor to the offensive line. But um, Joe, uh, as uh, as someone who who is well familiar with, of course, that time in Colts history yourself, you could count on your hand like sometimes over a span of three or four games how many times Peyton Manning was just touched. In, in the backfield and Howard Mudd was a guy that, that played a very key role in, in developing the offensive line to, to keep a uh, man and clean, keep the pocket clean and keep that offense moving how it was supposed to. Absolutely. I remember Howard Mudd and Tom Moore were the names that were brought up again and again and again for the Colts. And, you know, you, you go to a lot of teams and even these days, you don't hear a ton about the assistant coaches. But I remember even as a kid during that time, I kept hearing those names mud and more again and again, and just really goes to show the influence they had on that team and on that offense. Colts owner Jim Mercer posted on Twitter, rest in peace, Howard Mudd. He was a great player during his shortened career, then became one of the game's all-time greatest offensive line coaches. He contributed to many different teams over 47 years in our league, but will always be a Colt. And uh, Mike already mentioned uh, Jeff Saturday. Um, Peyton Manning also sharing some, some thoughts. It was an honor to have known Howard Mudd. It was an honor to have played for him. He was, I was proud to be his friend and proud to be quarterback. He was trying to protect uh, all the time. I will be forever grateful. So certainly it is, it's a dark day or a dark few days, uh, really, for the Colts, just to spend some time uh, thinking and honoring a man who, who meant uh, so much to this offense, Mike. You look back at the, uh, the offensive uh, assistants that, that were on that staff that Joe mentioned, guys like Tom Moore or like a Howard Mudd. And uh, as great as the talent was that they had to work with, Perhaps Mud had, I, I don't want to detract from the offensive line, but the least amount of talent because you don't have multiple um, pro bowlers, mul rather multiple uh, future Hall of Famers if you're a wide receivers coach. You know, if you're the offensive uh, coordinator like Tom Moore, you don't have Peyton Manning as basically a second coach on the field. He took a guy like Jeff Saturday off the street and made him a pro bowl guy. He developed guys like Tarek Glenn, Ryan Deem, made them consistent level-headed performers that was able to really engineer or give the base, the groundwork for others to engineer what was the best offense of that decade. Yeah, they had two pro bowlers during that stretch. Jeff Saturday and Tarek Glenn. And I, I don't think I'm wrong. They had one first-round draft pick. That was Tarek Glenn. Uh, I think Ryan Deem was a four or a five Jeff Saturday was undrafted. He 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 was he was he, he was working in an elect, electronical supply store in Raleigh. And the Colts needed a healthy lineman, so they brought in Jeff Saturday. Ryan Lilja came in from waivers from Kansas City. So they always sort of said, "Here you go, Howard. Work with these guys." You know, the, the, now the Colts have three first-round draft picks on the offensive line. Howard never had it. They. They sort of said, "Here you are, spend, spin your magic." They were top, they were top four in fewest sacks allowed in eleven of Peyton's thirteen years. They they were number one or tied for number one like seven times. So yes, Peyton had a lot to do with it with the quick release. But the the story that Peyton told is that the day that Peyton was drafted, Ursay went into Mud's office and said, "Your job is to keep that man clean." And uh, that's got to be music to a quarterback's ears because that's not always the case. So I, I wish there was a, 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 a mechanism or a room in the Hall of Fame that was strictly for assistant coaches. It, it's, it's, it's hard to get a coach in. We're getting better at it. It's really hard to get assistant coaches in. And I tell you, the Colts have got two uh, with, with Tom Moore and Howard Mudd that, 
they're, they're very deserving, but it's so hard to get an assistant coach in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I was posting to Twitter just the other day saying, hey, you could make a real great case to have a guy like a uh, Howard Mudd in the Colts ring of honor, even if it's not the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, there's a couple of assistants who certainly are, are in that category, guys like a Tom Moore or a John Tierlink on the defensive side of the ball, right. too. But, yeah, I really do think, once again, like kind of echoing something I said earlier, Joe, that uh, that Howard had the least to work with out of all those guys. You look at Tierlink. I mean, he had possible Hall of Famers on both ends of his defensive line that he was working with. So like, if, and, and you put uh, what Howard Mudd was able to do with one first round pick and other guys up against what the Colts of the 2010s were able to do with one first round pick Costanzo and a bunch of other guys. It is, it is a, it is a distinguishable contrast. It is an obvious contrast. What like the difference between the 20, the 2000s and the 2010s is the biggest difference to me is Howard Mudd in terms of what a Colts offense was able to do. You have an elite quarterback. You still have good quality wide receivers on the ends, like Reggie Wayne kind of spanning between both of the eras. But uh, you you did not have the really the offensive line coach to kind of pull it all together and and to keep the quarterback behind you healthy for the long term. Yeah, and you kind of saw that approach of you know just giving him fourth, fifth round picks, guys he claimed off waivers and saying okay work with it. You know I, I couldn't even tell you who the offensive line coach who came in after Howard Mudd was, um, but that didn't work anymore. And then you saw the Colts start using uh, a lot more first round picks on offensive linemen. So. Um, it really goes to show that when you have a coach who can really get the best out of their players, even if they aren't the premier talents, it allows you to use those resources elsewhere. So we now well, we, go ahead. Well, well, one, one last thing on Howard. We don't want to belabor it, but talking to Marcus Pollard, and this would be a lot of players would say this. He said, you know, I hated that guy when I played for him. He <laughs> yelled at you. He cussed you out. He was on you. Nobody rode Tarek Glenn harder and more consistently than Howard Mudd. He was a gruff, can be a can, can be a gruff SOB, but they said when you got away from it, you knew he always had your best at heart. And Jeff Saturday said, I owe this guy everything in football. Uh, and that that's where you know that a coach, they always say that when a coach quits yelling at you, you're done. He's got no use for you. And Howard Mudd always found a way. Uh, it, it never was personal. And, and some players Howard barked at, it didn't work. I can think of a few in my mind that I won't go into them, but he, he knew the way to, he, he knew how to push buttons. And by and large, the vast majority of players responded and they owe so much to him. And that's why they, they had 25 players on that Zoom call. And they said they were just laughing and taught, telling stories of Howard Mudd. And I bet it was a great hour or whatever that was on that conference call. He he had a special, you know, he had a special way of pushing people's buttons. If he even got Frank Reich to uh, to explode at him one time, and we're going to hear that story in just a little bit, right from the horse's mouth from Coach Frank Reich earlier this week. His uh his uh infamous interaction with Howard Mudd. But uh, uh for now, we move on in the podcast to our our uh, contractually obligated <laughs> COVID nineteen update of the week. Um, the, the fortunate thing about the NFL, well, I'm going to lead with that, is saying that there's there's not a whole lot of positive tests right now. The the positive testing rate is way way down it's another comment that frank reich made for the for the media this week he's even surprised to see the, the the low numbers of the testing so that is nothing but good news for the league 
but it's also uh, kind of the other side of the coin to college football. We, we've seen the, we've seen college football take significant steps, steps back over the past week with the Big Ten, the Pac-12 postponing their fall sports or really canceling fall sports in particular, including football, saying they hope to play in the spring. Um, some players outside of those conferences have opted out for sure. Um, but, uh, Mike, this is going to impact the draft somehow, uh, because, and, and it's something that Chris Bauer just talked about a little bit already to us earlier this year, saying that you've really got to trust your scouts, uh, for, if you're going to take some of these guys that are, are not going to have a fall football season and, and who knows right now, if they're going to go with the spring football season. Can you imagine if you know, things could carry on sort of normal if a few of these conferences play in the fall and there's no spring spring football as far as games right could you imagine if the big 10 and the pac-12 play i don't know what, what they're talking about february march i don't know what they're talking about what does it mean for the combine again like there's right. all these other questions we have to answer right the combine but but then let's say you draft these guys and they're going to play 10 games eight or nine games in the spring and then play in the fall are you kidding me so that that's that it's a lot of questions and there's everybody sort of flying by the seat of their pants now, but you're Chris Ballard talked about your scouts have got to really be on top of what they've done to this point. Cause you're not going to have more tape on the big 10. And, and we forgot to mention the Mac uh, has postponed things. So you're going to have limited uh, you're not going to have that tape that you've always had to go on or, or to visit guys. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see how the NFL goes ahead with the combine. Like you said, into February, and the draft, even if you if you push the draft back, if there is spring football, what are you asking these players to do from a workload standpoint to come in and play in the fall? Yeah, Joe, on that note, I would say, I mean, if I'm a senior or if I'm a guy who's a junior who's thinking about taking the next step to the NFL next year, I, I don't I don't think that I would risk it playing in the spring and then also knowing that I'm going to take a step up in competition in the fall and have your body battered again in the fall at another level that I've never experienced before. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I think um, before the Big Ten postponed everything, Rondell Moore with Purdue went ahead and said he's opting out of the season. You couldn't blame him at all. Um, a lot of these players who know that they'll be they're going to the NFL in some form, whether it's first round, third round, whatever, they're going to be in the league. It, it's almost not worth the risk. And it, not even to the NFL, even just the players who are going to remain in college in 2021. How do you play in the spring and then try and play again in the fall? It just doesn't make much sense whatsoever. I don't see how they could have a football season in the spring. Um, so that's why I kind of put the quotes around postponed because, right. you know, for all intents and purposes, it's probably going to be canceled. Um, so this just throws a wrench in everything. And I, I would think for the players who don't play this fall, it would have a much larger impact on their combine workouts because you haven't seen these kids playing over a year. And then also on their personal visits to teams, whatever that looks like. I know that was kind of limited with COVID this past spring. So we'll see what that looks like. But it's all up in the air right now. I'm always intrigued how, how things like this impact recruiting. I know people here in central Indiana don't care too much about recruiting. But I lived in Tallahassee, Florida for five years where uh, people live and die by what a 17-year-old boy tweets and it, it's it's very it's very funny when when you take a step back and think about it. But at the same time, it is also very relevant because it matters who you get to come to your school. Sure. And uh, it right now, a, a school like the Ohio State is taking a step back in the recruiting world 
when you have to go up against teams like LSU and Alabama and Florida State and Miami and Clemson. Like it, it, it's undeniable, Mike, that uh, that that college programs, if, if you're a 17 and 18 year old kid, then you want to play and you're looking at which conferences are kind of uh, developing or devoting more of their resources to playing and not backing out. I, I really think that uh, in the eyes of a, of a young kid who's trying to make a college decision in the future, uh, this is this is going to be something that that coaches around the country will absolutely bring up in their recruiting pitches as well. This is kind of a little off topic, but it's something that I at least found interesting. I think what's amazing is you've got these major conferences, the Big Ten, smart people, yeah. medical people, and they say it's not it's not safe. It's the the I, the risk isn't worth it, I guess is what you say. And the SEC says, no, we're okay. And, <laughs> and I don't mean it was that they didn't do it that cavalier, but by the same token, everybody's got the same information. They simply do. And you've got X number of conferences are saying we we don't feel right about going forward, and two or three of them are saying, no, we're okay. And I, I'm really interested to see how, if these conferences that, that decide to play, do they finish? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it's obvious to me that players want to play. That's what they, these are young kids. It, it, it's a little different with this virus, but again, young people, they live in the moment. They just do. Yeah. They, they're not thinking you know, let alone six months or, or five years, they, they wouldn't have been know about this week and next week and all that. So I understand that. And that's why you have to have adults in the room to sort of, to sort of say, no, you know, you can't do that. So it's amazing to me that you've got these conferences looking at the same information, drawing different conclusions, but that's how it is across the country. And I thought it was really interesting. I saw, you know, uh, Trevor Lawrence of Clemson make the point on Twitter that he said, he was arguing that players would be safer if there is a season. He said they'd have way more access to testing. They'd be tested almost every day. If they did test positive, they would find out right away. They would have better health care. Um, they would be quarantined. They'd be much more taken care of than if you say there's no season and they're just on their own in their own communities or still on campus or whatever it might be. Um, you know, how valid all that is, I'm not sure exactly. But those are some good points that he was bringing up, that these kids might be safer if they're taken care of by these professionals rather than just as a member of the general public. As a former college student myself, I can uh, say without hesitation that a college football player will be much more likely to go to a party when college football is not in session. Much more likely. You, you, you see them out a little bit more in the spring, you know. Uh, D- young Dave Griffiths on the campus of Syracuse University you might have seen uh, young Arthur Jones, former Colts defensive tackle, out uh, out somewhere in in the spring season, but not necessarily in the fall season when we were both uh, during our during our time at, at the wonderful uh, Orange Institution of Syracuse University. So uh, there there's my Syracuse mention for the day. So that that uh, we can move on to a former Colts general manager, Bill Polian being added to the Hall of Fame selection committee. So, Mike, great news for you. That's one more person you will not have to convince of all these Colts <laughs> coming up for the Hall in the future. I think he'll he'll be on your side. Yeah, it's, and again, it's, it's one more voice, and he, you know, he's been around forever. When you're thinking of, of people who know the NFL, not just today, but you know, for the last 40 years, Bill's one of the top guys. One thing we've tried to do the last four or five years in the Hall of Fame room I've been on the selection committee for about 20 years is to get more of a diverse selection committee. We've added uh, two hall of famers in the past with Dan Fouts and James Lofton. 
and now we're having Lisa Salters from ESPN and Bill Polian. So, yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to have to. Of course, I wouldn't need much up anyway with Peyton Manning. I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure I could get up and, and and talk against Peyton and sway the room. And the same with, with, with Bill Polian. And, and well, I'm interested to see how he would be with a Reggie Wayne uh, if a Jeff Saturday ever got in the room. So, because people... The idea was, oh, you, you media guys, you have biases, and you like the guy, you don't like the guy. Well, GMs and players have biases, too. Uh, I, I'm telling you, Dan Fouts, whenever Dan, Don Coriel's name come, came up in the room for consideration, he pulled out the soapbox, and, and he talked. Uh, so, and, and that's understandable. And I'm sure Bill's going to have his own biases as well. I've talked to Bill. One of the funniest ones was when uh, it was Marvin. When Marvin's first year, uh, and he didn't get in. His first, it was his third year for Marvin got in, but Marvin didn't get in, and and Bill was just ranting and raving and and everything. And I said, "Who would you have left off?" He said, "Aeneas Williams." Are you kidding me, Aeneas Williams? So so you know everybody has their own favorites and all that, but having those type of voices in the room are it's only going to help. When it comes to active Colts, we are one stronger this week as the Colts have cleared T.Y. Hilton and moved into the active roster after rehabbing his mild hamstring injury. Uh, Hilton, we will uh, now turn to uh, media interviews from earlier this week. T.Y. Uh, stood in front of the media or sat in front of the media via a Zoom link, as all things are this uh, this 2020 year. So let's hear what, from T.Y. Hilton, see what he had to say. Hey, T.Y., you were... Uh very adamant in the spring about what you expect to happen this year. You're ready to come back at full strength and you know what's on the line with your contract at the end of the year. Have you ever considered the fact that this might be your last run in Indianapolis? Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's my, my last uh, deal on my contract. So, um, I mean, you know, it is what it is. Um, you know, we go concentrate on right now and then at the end, end of the season, you know, we'll, we'll go from there. Could you imagine playing somewhere else? Is that something you don't even want to think about? Is it? Is it? A, I, mean, I mean, right now I'm not. I mean, right now I'm not thinking about it. You know, I'm just thinking about this team and where we at right now. You know, especially with me just trying to get better, get back out there with my teammates, and you know, just being around the guys. You know, it's just it's been a lot of fun. Mike Chapel. Yeah, Ty, you might have been asked this in the past, the last few years, but coming in in 2012, how are you this? the same receiver and how are you different after eight or nine years? Uh, I mean, I'm way different from there. You know, uh, I was rookie coming in, you know, learning under Reggie, you know, just learning the ins and outs of, of you know, being, being a receiver in the NFL, you know, scout, how to, how to scout teams, you know, how to scout individual players, you know, how they're going to play me, how defense plays, you know, we're used to the speed of the game now, you know, I pretty much know everything, you know, and I'm always still willing to learn, you know. Got a new quarterback with Phillip, you know, just seeing what he sees, you know, trying to get his timing down with him, you know, understand, you know, just the game. So I understand pretty much how defense is going to play me. You know, it may switch up every now and then, but, you know, ain't too many things you can throw at me. No disrespect, but at, at age 30 or 31, have you lost anything to make you adjust your game? Uh, I don't think I have lost anything, you know. I mean, I mean me working out this offseason, you know, I feel, I feel, actually, I feel faster. So, fell faster, got bigger. So, I can't wait. Mike Wells. Hey, what's going on, T. Way? How you doing, man? Um, you doing good. Hey, 
wanted to ask you, um, now that you're actually in the building with Philip, is there anything about him that surprises you or anything that's unique about him? I mean, because the difference from doing it virtually and now being in the building with him. I mean, just his, just his terminology of, of certain routes, certain plays, you know, how you like to call it, what, what he sees, you know, when I'm running um, this route or that route, you know, and just getting our language down one another, you know. Me and him, you know, we threw a couple of times. So it's, it's, it's going it's to be fun, man. I can't wait. You know, he's he's special. He's special in a lot of ways. And, you know, I just can't wait. You know, I know one thing about him, that he, he loves the game of football. I must say, he seems to be a guy uh, to uh... – has no no problem chucking it down. I mean, if he, if he sees sees that hand going up, he has no problem flinging it down the field. Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, and that's one thing I love. You know, um, the deep ball. So, I mean, if we start hitting those. You know, teams are going to back up. You know, and I know he has no problem with checking it down. So, you know, I'm all for it. But uh, you know, I think I think we're going to have a lot of fun this year. And I want to ask one one a separate question. When people look at you and say, "Oh, all of a sudden, T.Y. Hilton's body's breaking down," <laughs> which I mean, we us as the media, we know how durable you've been throughout your career. But when people say, uh-oh, here we, here we go again with T.Y. Hilton, what do you say to that? I mean, just look at look how many games I missed, you know. Besides last year, what it was, I think it was six. And then I missed, what, two before that. So that's eight out of nine years. So, I mean, I mean, whenever you see me, I'm, I'm pretty much on the field, you know, no matter what, what it is, no matter what the circumstances. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> do three more, Joel Erickson. Eli, when, uh, when it's a new quarterback like Phillip that you haven't played with before, but there's this big backlog of tape on him, do you watch that tape, or do you need to, or do you kind of need to get on the field with him and, and and figure it out together? I mean, I think a little bit of both, but me, you know, I'm different from probably uh, most of the receivers that you know he had played with, you know, you know. So for me, you know, I just just want to get out there with him, you know, and just get our timing down, you know, get uh, certain things down. You know, what what he likes doing one-on-one situations, you know. Uh, when I'm even, you know, how, what, what he like to throw, the back shoulder over the top, you know, just certain things that, you know, that can that can help me and help him that for us to get on the same page. Phil B. T.Y., thank you for your time. Thank um, you. I'm wondering, the thought occurred to me is Xavier Rhodes is clowning with you right there. <laughs> Two old Florida guys, right, or guys from Florida. How much – do you know Xavier from before and how much you're looking forward to getting on the field and practicing against him and having some heated practices against him? I mean, I know for a long time, you know, especially every time we play Minnesota, you know, always been uh, good, fun battles. You know, we both from Florida, both got that, that competitive spirit, you know, but it's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of trash talking, but at the end of the day, you know, we're going to push each other, you know, one corner, one corner versus one receiver. So I mean, it's gonna be some good battles, you know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna win some. He gonna win some. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm gonna, I got I got to get an upper hand. So, uh, but it's gonna it should be fun though, man. You know, as long as we continue to push each other, continue to get better. Uh, I mean, the sky's the limit for both of us. Sounds like he's having fun with you. He's doing your ty, man. I, is he allowed to do that? I mean, that's that right? That's <laughs> uh, he can do it right now, but he can't do it on the field. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank I'm you. Bowen. Hey, T.Y., I appreciate the time. Um, are you expecting a contract extension before the start of the year? Or do you think that you'll you'll play this this year out in a contract year? Uh, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. Um, you know, it could be my last year, could not be. You know, we could get an extension. We could not. So, I mean, I'm just going out there and just play it out. You know, if this, this is my last year, then we'll get everything I got no matter what. So, even when I'm on the field, you know, I, I really don't concentrate on that. That's between – 
Chris, Mr. Ursa, and my agent. So, man, that's up to them. I mean, my body works me for itself. So, you know, ball's in that court. Would that add any motivation if you weren't to get that before the start of the year? I'm self-motivated, so it ain't, ain't going to bother me. I should do a couple more. Chap? Yeah, T.Y., I'm curious. What's your reaction when you see that there's a, apparently a good chance there won't be any college football this year? Uh, it's it's going to suck, man. You know, being in those hotels on Saturday, you know, all all those NFL guys, you know, we look forward to watching the college, the big college games, some of the college games, watching our teams play. So, you know, it's, it's special. But if, if we don't have it, then it's, it's, it's going to be pretty bad, you know. I don't know what we're going to do. We probably have to play on Saturdays. But, you know, college football, it, it, it won't be the same without it. You, you know how the, the pr pr protocol in place to let you guys practice and hopefully play. Are you confident you guys can start what you're – or finish what you're starting right now, the season? Uh, I think we could, you know. I mean, with the COVID testing every every day, uh, I mean, I feel like we, we're pretty safe. You know, we're wearing the stuff over our face. Uh, so, I think, I, think, I think we'll be able to finish. Thank you. Lara Overton. T.Y., specifically in reference to home games, you're always a fan favorite, playing to the crowd. You get the reaction when you're introduced. Have you thought about just what it will look like, what it will feel like in a stadium if there are minimal or, or no fans at all? Uh, it's it's, it's going to be different. I know that for a fact. I know it's going to be different. Um, but, I mean, it's just – it'll be something we have to adjust to, you know, because, you know, we're going to – only um, have a certain amount of fans in there, if if any at all. So um, I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be different, but we have to adjust in, in order for us to accomplish what we came there for. So um, it's gonna be different, but you know, adjustments gonna be need to be made. And then last question, Stacey Dales. Ty, great to see you. Um, to my, you. my question for you: How dynamic do you believe this receiving core can be now with the addition of Pittman? And just curious on your reaction to D Hop headed to Arizona. Oh, that that was that that was crazy. Uh, I couldn't believe. It. I'm like, there's no way they they traded Hopkins. So, I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, anything can happen in this football league. So, you know, for him to him to go to Arizona, I know, you know, he'll he'll do great with Kyler Murray and Larry Fitzgerald there. So, you know, I wish him all the best. Uh, it won't be the same playing in Texas without without him. So. You know, I just wish them the best. But uh, adding Pittman to this to this receiving core with, with Zach, me, um, Paris, uh, it's gonna be fun. You know, we got we got a lot of guys that that can do different things. We know we're very versatile. Uh, we got we got a lot of speed. Uh, we got a lot of height, uh, big bodies. Uh, we got Jack Doyle at tight end, Mo Trey, and our running backs are, are pretty special. So um, defense are gonna have to look out because we we about to be a problem in Indy. That was Colts wide receiver T.Y. Hilton speaking with the media earlier this week. Uh, Mike, you're on that call. Uh, tell me, uh, what did you uh, take away from what T.Y. had to say? A couple of things. First, he doesn't agree with the injury-prone T.Y. Hilton. Uh, and, and we may have talked about this. I, I don't consider T.Y. Hilton injury-prone. I consider T.Y. Hilton have in, having injury concerns the last two years. And you can't ignore the fact that eight of the ten games he's missed in his career have come the last two years. Also, he's very aware, because we always remind him, that this is a contract year and he needs the big year. And he told us back uh, several months ago that his next contract will be his last contract. So he needs to stay healthy and 
again, we've talked on it. Let's say he has that big 12, 1,300-yard season and eight or nine touchdowns. How, how committed will the Colts be to bring him back? Let's keep in mind that they've they've used two high picks the last two years on Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell. So that's sort of transitioning away from T.Y. Hilton. So can you, you get that uh, Reggie Wayne? It's, it's funny, Marvin Harrison didn't go out on his own terms. Reggie Wayne didn't go out on his own terms. Can T.Y. Hilton, uh, it's rare that a player, a Peyton Manning didn't go out on his own terms here. So very seldom does that happen, but uh, he, th- this is going to be a very motivated player going forward. Undoubtedly. And, and Joe, as we've seen from the past, the motivated T.Y. Hilton is also often a good T.Y. Hilton. So I think Colts fans should be excited about what he has to do this year, especially hearing from from guys throughout the offseason. You hear from Nick Sirianni in the middle of the offseason saying our offense is going to run through T.Y. Hilton. He's going to get a lot of balls. You hear Philip Rivers just the other week, I think, had mentioned T.Y. Hilton just among uh, before every other receiver out there that uh, as much as the Colts want to spread it around, want to give some guys love. And uh, Frank Reich says, oh, we, we like Trey Burton a lot. You know, I think he's going to have a really good year. But T.Y. Hilton is still special in this offense, and he is going to receive the lion's share of the reps, however many they are. Yeah. I mean, you talk about the skill position players in that offense. You health aside, T.Y. Hilton is by far the best player. Um, he, he he's an absolute stud. He showed it last year. His game seems to continually evolve from year to year. Um, one of the few complaints was, well, he's not that great in the red zone. He doesn't catch a bunch of touchdowns. He, he was sure catching a lot of touchdowns last year before he got hurt. So yeah. I think that was a Mike Chapel complaint at the beginning of last year, wasn't it? <laughs> I did. Yeah, and, and and then they said, we'll show, we'll show you. <laughs> yeah. But you're right. That that was part of his game that we hadn't really seen. Uh, and I, I think, like I said, I think he's going to be. That he he needs to be that big play guy, that 15 yards a catch guy. He needs to pick up his touchdowns because it's crazy when you look at his stats, his body of work. The lack of touchdowns is really astounding for a big play receiver. It really is. So what what we looked what what's his career high? Is it eight, seven, seven? Seven. It's crazy that this is a three or four time Pro Bowler. He's like the fourth most prolific receiver in team history. He's never had double-digit touchdowns. That's it's crazy. I would I might have to do some research here, but I would like to see the percentage of touchdowns that were scored twenty yards or longer. Yeah, I, I don't think he gets a lot of those short red zone work, or at least he didn't before twenty nineteen. <laughs> so I would say that might contribute a lot to it. Was the touchdowns he did have did all come off of those big plays? It'd be interesting to see. Yeah. Uh, Coach Frank Reich also speaking with the media this week out at Colts camp as helmets. Practice and helmets began before uh, full pads go in next week. Let's hear from Frank Reich. Well, you know, obviously making a transition here from our strength and conditioning phase to phase two practices. We got two days of these. Um, we're able to go full speed. We're in helmets. Uh, we're not able to line up against each other, but we're able to go full speed. So what today was, today was not a lot of teamwork. Today was a lot of individual work, a lot of of fundamentals and technique, every position, you know, by itself, working on the details uh, and the little fundamentals, the little techniques that go into execution in the big picture. So it's really good work out there. We'll do that today and tomorrow before we can line back up against each other. So a good chance for the guys to, you know, to get to, to go full speed and to feel what that feels like on the football field, not just running sprints, but playing football. Um, so anxious, anxious to keep going, 
feel good about where feel good about where we're at. All right, Joel Erickson. Frank, uh, there's been some talk of like the Saints and Cowboys kind of setting up like optional uh, hotel settings for guys to kind of bubble during camp. Are you guys doing anything like that? I'd say our approach to it has been uh, really our, our cultural approach. I mean, we've talked about it's almost like a cultural bubble, if you will. Um, you know, we're not we're not going crazy and we're not trying to tell guys, hey, you can't, you shouldn't go out, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. We're setting guidelines. We're talking about safe practices. We're talking about being reasonable, taking reasonable precautions, and then trusting our guys to do that. Um, so far, it's been a good start to the time that we've been here. We've been, we've, our guys have done a good job when we've not had any cases come up. So that'll be our approach. We're always ready to adjust if needed. But right now, we feel comfortable with the approach we're taking. All right, Mike Chapel. Yeah, you, you mentioned the changes you have to be ready for. Players love, coaches love routine. You know what you're doing. But isn't it almost you have to be ready for, for whatever, whether you lose Andrew Luck, whether you lose a player, whether it's the, the COVID, don't you have to stress on players that be ready for what you don't know is coming? Yeah, that's why I think it's so important to have core a, a core fundamentals and principles that you believe in, um, because when you have those, while the while everything else can be changing, uh, circumstances are going to be changing. What what holds us together, what kind of grounds us, is is those underlying principles um, that we always talk about. So um, those are the that's the continuity. That's the continuity that even when there is a change to schedule, it's, we're not changing the principles. We're not changing the foundation. So we have continuity and familiarity in those core things. And then we adjust and adapt as needed. And you're right, chap. I mean, you do got to be flexible. And I think our guys have, we have, I think our guys have handled that very well. And our coaches. Didn't you, wasn't that your, one of your core principles is being a backup quarterback? Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, you always got to, you're standing, you're one play away and you never know when that's going to be. So you, you have to stay focused. Um, you have to be able to adjust and, and you have to be able to adjust on your feet and think quickly. So that's what we're trying to do. Stephen Holder. Uh, hey, Frank, um, just ask Jack about this. Um, you know, playing in your system the last couple of years, we know that, you know, you, the tight ends play a central role. I, I, I'm just, I guess I have two questions. Number one, um, how did that evolve for you? And, and, and secondly, where does Phillip factor into this? Because I know he's had, it seems like, some success with tight ends over the years, uh, even though he had Antonio, I get that. But um, just can you speak to those two things? Yeah. The dynamic on the tight end, that, that evolving is, you know, just being around some great ones. Um, you know, when I was here before, being around Dallas Clark, seeing what he could do. You know, then you're around Antonio Gates. Then you're around Zach Ertz and Trey Burton in Philadelphia, you know, then you come here and Ebron has a monster year for us. So, um, and I think Stephen, that part of the reason for that is just the, the great athleticism of tight ends where they're almost like a receiver and you just get matchups that you like. And so I really do think this is a game of, it's a team game, but within the game, there's these little matchups that you have to try to find, create and take advantage of. And one of those I think is at the tight end position. Um, you know, getting those guys. But then the, the dynamic with that is, hmm, the reason you haven't seen this in the past is tight ends have been blockers. So if we want to be a good running team, then how do you get a 
tight end who's a great receiver and maybe just an average blocker and still have a dynamic run game. So that's the challenge of it as a coaching staff. You have to find ways to protect these tight ends and have schemes that can protect these tight ends that you can keep them on the field in the run game, but not have them get the constant pounding. That's really important. And it takes a lot of work and our coaches do a great job of that. And, uh, you know, and then thirdly, the tight ends, you know, even those receiving tight ends, they know they, they still got to be, they're still tight ends. So you still got to be physical. We're going to, you know, we're going to ask you to stick your nose in there and block and you got to do it. Um, but it's a combination of those things. And then a combination of switching up personnel. We can get Mo and Jack on the field. Then we can get Trey on the field. We can just alternate that through, try to keep the defense off balance in that way. I could talk all day about that because it, it, it's a really big dynamic. It's a really, really important dynamic how you use those tight ends. And then when you get three tight ends on the field that are good, I mean, it just creates all kinds of options. You, it can create, you got to, you get a chance to see how the defense is going to, how does, what does the defense think when you put three tight ends on the field? In the old days, they're, they're thinking it's all run. But if you look at us, we throw the ball just as much with three tight ends on the field as we do run it. But yet we're still a danger to run it. So that's a good dynamic. And it's only a good dynamic because of the players that we have. We, have, we got good players to be able to do that. George Bremer. Coach, obviously a lot of new pieces on offense. And Jack was just talking about you got to be on the same page with, with Phil because he's seen everything and, and he can change a play at the line of scrimmage. Have you seen them kind of coming together, especially with these walkthroughs, having that chance to kind of get on the field together? Have you seen that that grow so far? Yeah, it's amazing how it really it, – it's fun. It's fun to watch. I mean, it never gets old. Um, you know, even in Zoom meetings, you know, Nick did a really good job of creating a dynamic where we're simulating huddles and calls and plays, everything you could do in a Zoom meeting. But now to get out here in the field – I don't think it takes long for everyone on that field to feel Phillip's presence and his experience and his leadership. So uh, that just accelerates it. That accelerates that that much more, keeps everybody on their toes. Um, and I think that'll just grow. Phil B. Hey, Coach. Thank you for your time. Uh, apologies in advance. I don't want to get in this rut of asking you sentimental questions, but I think we all have a deep respect for Howard Mudd, and I know he's going through a, a tough time. We're, we're hoping for the best. I remember when you came on staff uh, and I interviewed you, um, and you were just kind of getting your feet wet. I'm wondering if you have a story or two about running into Mr. Old School that sticks with you and, and defines Howard Mudd. So, and I'm glad you asked the question, Phil. I'll keep it relatively brief, although that, that could be hard, but. Um, yeah, I got so much love and respect for Howard. You know, I got I got my coaching break here with the Colts. Um, the one quick story that comes to mind is, you know, here I, I was the, you know, I was the offensive quality control, and then I was the quarterback coach. And so I'd have to, you know, working with Peyton, I had to go into Howard's office all the time to to talk about um, the run game and things for the, relevant to the quarterback. And I remember going in his office one time, and he had pushed me around one too many times verbally. <laughs> and uh, and I just finally lashed back out on him, and I and it was a good lashing for me. And you guys, you guys know me, so you can imagine uh, that for me to get this worked up um, and to strike back verbally was a rare instance. And I, I let him have it. And after I was finished, 
he just started laughing. He said, oh, I love that. That's what I love to see. You know, I mean, he was just an old ball coach. And our, our thoughts and prayers are with him and Shirley um, and just have a lot of love and respect for Howard Mudd. Thank you, Coach. Kevin Bowen. Hey, Frank, um, with the type of offseason that Malik had, you know, not getting the option picked up, you guys draft a safety early. Is that someone that you seek out personally as the head coach before camp, early on in camp from a mindset standpoint? Do you let the position coach handle that? Do you not even worry about it? And with Malik specifically, how do you think he'll, he'll handle that? I think Malik's going to handle it really well. And because I think Malik has been on this trajectory, on this trajectory, I should say, where it just keeps, you know, for the time that we've been here as a staff, just keeps getting better. And um, I think physically and in the scheme and in everything, he's coming into his own. So, Kevin, you're absolutely right. I mean, any coaches at some level, you, you know, you're trying to have touches with every player and, and understanding the dynamics of what goes into that. It's, it's interesting. On one hand, you think, hey, they're big boys. They can handle it. You don't need to cut. No, nobody needs coddled. Nobody needs emotionally coddled. So it's not about that. It's just about respect, you know, and this, it's about respect. It's about showing a guy respect. So, uh, you know, I do like to show the guys respect and say, Hey, it is what it is. We all know this is the NFL. You got to earn it every day here. And so guys aren't surprised when a contract situation comes like it did with uh, Malik's uh, situation. And so just got to go out and have a great year. And we expect them to do that. All right, we got time for three more here. Uh, Andrew Walker. Hey, Coach. Um, obviously, we're still a few weeks out, but with the COVID situation the way it is, do you give any more thought to adding a third quarterback throughout the regular season? Because I think you're traditionally more of a traditionalist with two, um, and the second half was kind of unique with Chad. But um, I'm sure a lot of teams are seriously considering going with three. Um, what? Where are you in that line of thinking? Yeah, I mean, Andrew, that's that's a – Good question. And, you know, Chris and I talk about it all the time as we talk about the roster and how it's going to be made up. Uh, you know, that's to, to be determined, but we're talking about all, all options are open um, as we continue to progress forward and see where the roster is at that time. You know, we'll, we'll weigh the pros and cons of, of, of going with two or going with three. All right. And then we'll go Stephen Holder. Uh, hey, Frank. Um, you didn't say this, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but uh, you seem, you know, kind of have some optimism on just the way things have gone in terms of testing results to, to date. And it seems like around the league, I'm not seeing, a, you know, an overwhelming number of, of guys getting put on the list. Um, it's early, but, like, you know, do you draw anything from that, or do you just kind of think we're still in the wait and see, or what, what do you think? Anything? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I, I am – I, you, your sense is right. There is a little bit of optimism, but I, I don't take it for granted. You know, I mean, you know how it is. You take something for granted, then it comes up and it bites you. And this is not one thing that we want to come up and bite us. So, you know, our focus is we are optimistic. We have had very, you know, the testing has been very good. I think guys have done a good job with it. I think everybody, I think it's, uh, you know, around the league, everybody realizes the seriousness of it and we're all trying to learn. So I think we're in that, we're in a good spot and we need to continue to respect, you know, respect what's out there uh, and then just stay in this routine. But um, I'm, I'm almost surprised at how few cases there are when you, cause when you read the general news, you just feel like there, there would be more represented within the yeah. NFL. And there really has been very few to my knowledge. All right. And then Mike Wells, last question. 
Hey, Frank, you mentioned back uh, in, in the spring about the running back position with Marlon and Jonathan, kind of a one and one a type type situation. No matter how it shakes out, should much be read into it on who the starter is, or do you believe, or do you just look at it as you know what you guys are going to run the ball enough where there's going to be enough touches for uh, you know everybody in the backfield? Yeah, I mean Marlon's a starter. I mean you know Marlon's a starter, and but it's like you said, Mike. I mean you can read into that. I mean Marlon's earned it. He's had a couple of really good years for us, and but we're going to continue to take the same approach that we have. Um, and, you know, where it's week in and week out, hot hand, all those things. And we're expecting a big year from all of our backs, but in particular, Marlon, he looks good. Um, and so just feel good about how the backs complement each other. I really do. I feel like that's a strong room for us. I feel like those guys are very unselfish and they're in it for each other. And so, um, you know, Marlon needs to be a leader um, the way he plays, and we expect him to do that. That was Colts head coach Frank Reich speaking with the media this week. And uh, we touched on it earlier, but I'll, I'll harp on it again. I, I would love to see Frank Reich just go off uh, on an assistant, on a fellow assistant coach at the time. But that, that Mike, I, I'd imagine that would be uh, fun to be a fly on the wall, kind of just just to hear exactly what Frank would say when he actually gets upset. You know, we've all we've all got a limit of how much BS and trash we're, we're going to take. I mean, and. and you see guys that do it, and it, it just it just it's simmering below the surface. And for Frank Reich to finally, as he said, go off. Now I'd like to not like to know if, if Frank stayed in character and and didn't come down to Howard's level as far as the kind of verbal response he gave him. <laughs> but it was one of those where that. But again, that's to go back to Howard. That, that's what Howard did. He always, like Peyton said, he always challenged you on what you said, and if you didn't back it up, he'd just wear you down. But yeah, this was for Frank to go off like he said, and and he made it a point. It was, it was sort of his badge of honor that he finally stood up to that bully Howard Mudd. <laughs> but yeah, I'd, I'd love to have been in there because because then he said after he let him have it, Howard just started laughing. It's sort of like that's what I want you to do. I want you to be a sounding board. Howard did not like yes men around him. He, he wanted people to push him, and and that's what Frank Reich finally did, and that's part of what makes Frank Reich what he is now. So. It was a great story, though. A lot of great Howard Bud stories. I'm sure you could share millions of them, but uh, we will uh, move on in this Colts Blue Zone podcast for something I promised you all earlier, and that is looking at a couple of prop bets that Joe Hopkins found online to uh, see what exactly uh, the uh, the Sharks or the professionals think uh, the Colts have in store for this season. So uh, these are found online through FTN's Player Prop Shop where Joe uh, picked them out. Yeah, it was pretty neat. Joe, so, Joe you're, you're, you're sick. You know, you're like that, <laughs> Degenerate Joe. It was here. pretty cool. You could, like, type in a player or a team, and it would bring you up, like, all the different – it was like a almost like a Google, but for betting. It would bring you up all the different betting sites and what the over-unders were for each player and each thing. But I picked a few of the more interesting ones out here. We'll start with Philip Rivers, and he Joe picked up two over-unders here. I'll pose them both. And uh, we'll we'll give our picks, and then just say which one you're more positive about, you're 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 feel more comfortable about. So Philip Rivers over under for passing yards is four thousand ninety nine point five. So that's your over under, and your over under for touchdown passes is twenty seven point five. Four thousand ninety nine and a half passing yards, twenty seven and a half touchdown passes. 
Mike, where do you think Philip Rivers ends up? Let, let's assume a full season. Obviously, when we're talking about all these, a non-COVID shortened season, a non-injury riddled season, clearly. But where do you think he ends up? Over 4,000, under 27. I, I just, I, again, if for this, this offense is going to be a, a, a diverse and potent offense and 4,000 yards, you're not going to get that falling out of bed, but I think that's a very reliable number over that 25 TDs. I'd like to see it more than that, but I think it'll be a few, a few or less than that. Joe. Yeah, I got to agree. I think rivers reaching 4,100 yards is, you know, if you play 16 games, I think it's pretty much a given. Yeah. Um, he, you know, the last several years, he's averaged like 4,500 a year. So that'd be pretty easy for him. I feel like the 20s, does he make it to 28 passing touchdowns? That's going to take a really good year from Phillip Rivers. Um, so I, I feel safer taking the under with that. He could still have a decent year and throw 25 and 12 interceptions or something like that. Um, but I think it'd be safer to go with the under on the passing touchdowns to over on the passing yards. Yeah. One of the main things we've heard from the Colts coaching staff over this off season has been uh, comparing to last year, what they want in the future is they want more big plays. They want to go down the field more. They want to attack. And that's something that Phillip rivers has done in the past. And that's one of the big reasons they want him to be their starting quarterback and not Jacoby Brissett. So I, I agree about the passing yards. I go over, I think 4,100 is, is very doable. Um, touchdown passes. I think, you know, life's too short to bet the under. So, uh, <laughs> so I'd, I'd go with the over on that too, but with, with, with much less confidence than, than I would for the yardage. I think that the Colts are certainly going to move the ball through the air this year. So 4,100 yards, I, I would I mean, I'd feel pretty comfortable. That's with. just a good line. If I had it to is. like project, I would probably say 27 yeah. touchdown. Yeah, it's a really good line. And that, that, that's why, uh, the ceilings in Vegas are, are paved with gold and, <laughs> yeah. uh, fools like us go home, uh, without our money. Uh, Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack are both over under 700 and a half uh, in terms of rushing yards. So if you go 701 or over or uh, 700, 669 or under right in that range for both Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack, I'll go first. I think Marlon Mack hitting the over is, is a given here because I, I think he's he's going to be your eight, your choice a at the beginning of the year, especially. And he's going to rack up some yards at the beginning of the year when Jonathan Taylor is still working his way into the fold. Uh, the Colts know Marlon Mack. They trust him. The the offensive uh, assistants trust him. Frank Reich trust him. So, like I said, uh, Jonathan Taylor's going to have to earn a little bit of that trust. Do I think Taylor can make it to 700? Maybe, even though I would still probably bet the under here if I had to. But I think Marlon Mack hitting the over at 700 is is one of the best bets that I saw on this board. So I'm going to go with uh, with Marlon Mack on the over, Jonathan Taylor on the under. But for Taylor, you can kind of convince me either way. Chap, what do you think? Yeah, it was, I was. I, I'm with you on this. And history says they they both won't do it. That they both can't go over. I was looking here while you were while you were rambling while you were talking. Hey now, hey now. The last time the Colts have had two rushers, each with at least 700 yards, was 1985. It was uh, Randy McMillan 858, and George Wansley was 700. Oh, of course. So yes. it's, it's just even back in 06 when they had a die and uh, Dominic Rhodes, it was a thousand yards for a die and 644 uh, Rhodes. It's just going to be hard to. I, I think, again, if he's healthy, I, I don't see how Mac doesn't get it just because he, he he's that kind of a player. 
And whether whether Taylor can is whether he gets enough carries. And if Mac is what they want him to be, and Frank always says, well, we're going to ride the hot hand. Well, if, if the hot hand is Marlon Mack, you know, Taylor's going to have to get what he can get. But I think Taylor cannot get 700 yards and still be a quality, quality addition. I, I agree. Joe, what do you think from those two numbers? Go ahead. Go ahead. Trash Marlon Mack, would you please? <laughs> <laughs> Who, by the way, let, let's throw this out there. Marlon Mack did win our online poll for the uh, for the top 10 Colts. We all had our differences of opinion on one Colt on that list last week. And um, Mike Chappell's pick of Marlon Mack beat out my pick of Jack Doyle and Joe's pick of Braden Smith to make it in the top 10 Colts uh, for 2020. So congrats to Mike for winning that. But now we go on to Joe to, uh, to hear how Marlon Mack is a terrible running back. And, uh, you know what we, we need to do, we need to get like a sponsor for the, for this segment, you know, some trash pickup service. Whenever <laughs> Joe's going to talk about Marlon Mack, we can say, and this is sponsored by whomever. <laughs> I'd say Morton salt because he gets real salty talking about these guys. <laughs> the salty take of the week from, from Joe Hopkins. Hey, we'll, we'll see who is right. By 2021, just can't like wait. with last year's hashtag list. can't wait. But um, <laughs> you, my heart wants to say both will hit the over, but I know historically the chances are very low. Uh, if it's as balanced as Frank Wright says it's going to be, and it's a one-one attack, both should reach the 700. I mean, I, I think the Colts will definitely surpass 1,400 rushing yards as a team. So if you look at it that way, and it's as balanced as Wright says it's going to be. Both should surpass the 700. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say Jonathan Taylor gets it. I'm gonna say Jonathan Taylor gets the 700 for sure. Marlon Mack's a little tougher for me because I got to factor in the injuries, but and how much you hate him and you don't like him. <laughs> you guys are fabricating this. <laughs> if I was, a there, there, there is audio. Taylor. There is audio in, in in your archive somewhere. Go to the tape. Listen, I bash running backs in general, not Marlon Mack. He is a very good player. Um, I, I'm going to say over on both. I'll take the over on both. I, I like the boldness. Like I said, life's too short to bet the under. <laughs> that's so right. that's fantastic. T.Y. Hilton's over under this year is 1,050 receiving yards. 1,050. And once again, I, I think this number is... I think the number might be a little low. I think you might be able to find some higher numbers out there if you want to go for the under. Um, I, but, but I still, I'm still leading toward the under, uh, here for 1050. Cause I, I do think that as much as the, as, as we mentioned earlier, Colts offensive staff has said, T Y Hilton's going to get a whole lot of opportunities this year. You got to have some balls directed at Michael Pittman jr. Your rookie that, that you went out and spent big money on. You got to get Paris Campbell involved somehow. I still think that Naheem Hines is going to get a good, um, probably 60 opportunities at least out of the backfield, maybe 50 catches there. Uh, it's what Phil Rivers has done a whole lot in his career. I, I'd be hard-pressed to imagine he does anything different this year. So uh, for, for T.Y. Hilton to go over 1,050, I think is going to be difficult. I will take the under. Uh, but once again, I, I'm not totally convinced on that. Um, but I, I think it's a, it's a decent number. But I wouldn't be surprised uh, to see this number this number rise as, as if, if this is a kind of a hard set number that we get closer to the season. But, uh, Mike, what do you think? Yeah, it's funny. I was just doing some calculations here, and it's crazy. Maybe this is where they got their number. Let's give him 70 catches, which is really nothing out of the ordinary. Right. 15 yards a catch, that's 1,050 yards. Yep. So I, 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 I think I would, I would take the over. If you're twisting my arm and making me bet, I'd take the over. Because this is all based on 
playing 16 games, almost playing 14 games. I, I would go down that low. But I just think I, I trust what the coaches are saying. This offense, the passing offense, goes through T.Y. Hilton. And if you got a motivated guy who's a focus of your offense with a quarterback that likes to push the ball down the field, uh, the catches, I don't know what the catch is going to be, but I think his, his yards per catch are going to be decent. I would take 1050 and feel sort of good about cashing in. Yeah, I, I mean, I think this over is a given as long as he stays healthy. So a bet for the over is a bet on his health and a bet on the under, in my opinion, is a bet that he's going to get hurt. You look at the years Hilton's been healthy and it's, you know, 1,200, 1,400, 1,300 yards um, pretty, pretty consistently there as long as he's been healthy and throughout the year where Jacoby Brissett joined the team and then less than a month was the starting QB. So I think Hilton, if he stays healthy, is going to have one of the better years of his career in 2020. Final over under we'll get to is the win total for 2020 over under eight and a half wins per fan duel. Joe, we'll let you start us off and then we'll uh, go to Mike and then I'll wrap things up. I actually went and put 20 bucks on this one. I'm smashing hey. the over. Hey, on this. I mean, I 20 the, bucks is smashing the over now. Listen, I got a <laughs> wedding coming up. I don't have a lot of money to be thrown around. I hear that. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if they play the full 16 game season, I think. I think they would win nine or 10 games with Brissett this year, let alone with Phillip Rivers. So uh, I'm taking the overall day on that. Yeah, I, I would agree. If if Brissett's the guy and you take away any injuries, this is a nine-win team because they've, they've really got this roster in pretty good shape. Very few glaring weaknesses. And since we're, since we're counting, we're not counting injuries and all that, I, I think Rivers gives you that 10-win I'm not saying 11. I'm going 10 and 6. But if this isn't a playoff team, if we're in December and we're talking about, boy, where'd it go wrong? Heads aren't going to roll, but there's going to be a lot of uh, disappointment in, in, in the fan base and in management. I would be incredibly surprised if this number doesn't shoot up to at least nine by the time the season starts, because that eight and a half just seems too low. Yeah. To me, you, you look around, we've talked a lot this offseason about the AFC South and other teams appear to have taken a step back. The Jaguars, most among them, who, who, who knows if they're going to win three games this year. Um, but the, the Houston Texans get rid of DeAndre Hopkins, who is one of their best two or three players. Uh, the, the Tennessee Titans, you know, you lock up Ryan Tannehill, you lock up uh, Derrick Henry, at least for the, for the immediate future. But you lose guys like Jarrell Casey like uh, Logan Ryan, Jack Conklin, like those are pro bowl type players that, that are, that are losing, that are leaving your, your team. So uh, you think they have some guys to come in that can maybe fill some voids, but boy, that that's not proven. So you look around, I look around how the AFC South, I think has taken a step back and the Colts have taken a step forward. That's kind of my main reason to say I would take the over if it's eight and a half. Yeah. And the thing I, I keep harping on with the Titans is, does anyone really believe Tannehill's going to continue on this like incredibly efficient streak? He Apparently was on they last do. Year? They paid him because they believe he. Owes. Yeah, He'll but do if he was, you know, never that player throughout his career, and I get it, he was with the Dolphins, and you can say what you want about Adam Gase at the time and all that, but I just think we're all assuming that Tannehill's going to come back and be just as good as he was, and he's not going to run into injury problems again, and. In my mind, that that's far for a given. So 
I think the Titans are one of the more overrated teams heading into the year. We do have one extra special episode coming to you this week, again, with some more sound from Colts training camp. Tight end Jack Doyle, my guy in the top 10 for the year. Also, Xavier Rhodes and uh, DeForest Buckner, two free agent defensive acquisitions. The Colts hope to plug in and improve that defense for the 2020 season. So we hope you will download and listen to them. An easy way to get it is to subscribe to us. Uh, also, you can help us out and leave us a review on iTunes. Follow the Colts Blue Zone on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone throughout the week and get your daily dose or your weekly dose of Colts content. Uh, and uh, if you have any Colts or NFL related questions you would like us to answer, go ahead and submit those to us on Twitter. Uh, you can get them to us personally as well. I'm at Dave G underscore sports. Mike Chapel is at M Chapel 51. And Joe Hopkins is at Roto Street Joe, fantasy specialist at Roto Street Joe. So we do thank you for tuning in, listening, downloading, and uh, we hope to see you next time on the Colts Blue Zone podcast.